Gavin Newsom, huh? What's that about? <laughs> Full head of hair, that Gavin Newsom. He's a good-looking governor. You got to give it to him. And he makes shit decisions. <laughs> Coming up on this episode, Gavin Newsom makes shit decisions. And he's not the only one. Join yeah. us, don't you? <laughs> Hi, Julia Benzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Hi, you guys. Hi. Welcome to the Dateline Stravaganza. I mean, can you feel my love for this? What has taken us so long to do this? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Keith, ha- Keith has yet to reach out. I um, <laughs> Bill Hader, same. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to keep doing this until they reach out to us. <laughs> i got to tell you, like, every, like, number one, every time we do a Dateline, I'm like, how do we not know this story? Right. I know. I know. And everyone is trash. Everyone, everyone is trash. Yeah. My favorite thing about all these people is how much Keith Morrison hates them. And he just lets us know. And I just love it. I'm just like, because it's nice to know he's with us. Exactly. You know, totally. he's not just telling the story. He's yeah. like a lot of winks. To totally. Like, oh, like, look, look at this yeah. asshole. Huh? And, and I'm you like, know, Keith, I know. You know, the network brass doesn't give him any shit. They're like, whatever. You know what I mean? He's Keith. We're going to let him do what he wants. Because he's such a tall drink of water. Totally. He knows his shit. He writes his own copy. He wrote, like, just let him do it. He's 7,000 years old. Come Can on, you let guys. us have Keith? I know. Don't take Keith away from us, too. I can't take you guys, before we get to the episode proper, just a reminder, join us on the Patreon. Over like 232, 42, 50 full ad-free bonus episodes to download and binge right this second. Yeah, all the long-form things. We can't do every episode of Dateline. No. So we're just <laughs> Could you imagine? What is there, like 9,000 episodes of Dateline? <laughs> Don't tempt me, Frodo, as they say. Don't tempt me. Um, yeah, all those long-form series, like the old-school ones we did, like Making a Murderer, yeah. The Jinx, Night Stalker, Don't F with Cats, Tiger King, all that stuff. Yeah. Also, you guys, ad-free versions of these episodes. Also, you get first access to our live show tickets, to our merch. Yeah. There's like lots of reasons to join the page, you guys. Yeah, and more of us, which is really the least of your <laughs> concerns, I think. There's just a lot more <laughs> fun things over All right, girl, what are we talking about today? What's the dates? Well, we are talking about actually my least favorite night of the year. Yeah. The title of it is the night of the summer solstice. I made this note. It took me a minute to get there when like the third time they're like, the longest night of the year. It's the longest day of the year. Yes. And I was like, God damn it. Julian must hate the summer solstice. Well, my birthday is the winter solstice, which right. is the longest night of the year, yeah. which is if I could pick my birthday, obviously that would be it. But during the summertime, I say to Mike, like around the solstice, I'm like, I can't, but like, why is it still light out at 830? It's I, my least, I can't, you know, it I makes go to me bed. crazy. I go to bed at 8. 15, 8 o'clock, 8.15 every night. It, the sun, I'm like a fucking vampire. You the, texted me last night. It was 8.11. Yes. I remember it because yeah. I looked out my window and I was like, it's... I know. <laughs> Tell me you got those blackout shades. We do girl. have blackout shades, but you guys, it is like the sun blaring through the shades. But the trade-off is that in the winter in New York, it's pitch black at 4.10. Oh, don't so. even talk about it. It's so far away, it feels like. Um, but also, way to make the shit all about me. There's a horrible murder at the heart I know, of this. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry. Well, we're starting on a chilly September morning, 2020. And then I realized, oh my God, we're at a jail during COVID. Yeah, December 2020. Oh my God. Because, and all we know is that for whatever reason, whatever is about to happen was never supposed to happen. And we don't get back to that until the very end. You know what, Dateline? Murders are never supposed to happen, honestly. (laughs) We're really going to get down to it. I'm Lester Holt. Tonight on Dateline, a famous crime novelist returns to an infamous case. It had so much mystery involved, pentagrams painted on the wall. What was this young man doing in that tunnel? The Manson Tunnel. Yeah, is a pretty horrible place to die. The murder happened on the summer solstice. This whole occult story came out. There's evidence of occult activities having taken place up there before. 
he told me that he had witnessed a murder. Ron was screaming, uh, help me. And that he was helping the police with it. Little by little, it started coming out. There had been some plots afoot. Brutal and violent and chaotic. They are vicious killers. It was a horrible betrayal. So this episode, it tells the story of the murder of a guy named Ron Baker in 1990. So it happened a long time ago. Yes. And so we meet this guy, Rick. I call him Detective Rick. He worked homicide for 20 years. This was his case. They do that thing where they tell us how long he had the job, and then they show us a picture of him smoking inside the office. Disgusting. And I, th- I said, Disgusting. I'm going to try to get past it. I'm going to try to rise above GP. Yeah, he smoked inside. He, like, leans into satanic panic. I'm not a fan. <laughs> you guys, it's the 90s. Obviously, it was, I know. Uh, there was animal sacrifice. It's never the Satanists in the woods. It's never them. And luckily, they don't dwell on that for too long in this because it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, we'll, hold on. We'll get there when we get there. I really want Detective Rick's lower third always to be like, former cop, comma, once smoked inside. (laughs) You know he smoked inside all the time. They all did. Those really teeny tiny ashtrays that they used to have at McDonald's. Oh, my God. Who cleans those ashtrays? They also had them everywhere. Why I I went straight to McDonald's. (laughs) They had them on airplanes, GP. They used to let them smoke on airplanes. How are we alive? I don't know. Like, yes, the planet's on fire. Yeah. This is where they say it, girl. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to say it as few times as possible. Sure. Just a few days after the summer solstice. It's okay. I mean, she's okay. It's just... I don't, I prefer I know. the other. And you prefer anything else. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the longest day of the year, June 24th, 1990. And Rick, the detective who once smoked inside, tells us his supervisor's got a case for Rick and his partner, Frank. And it's a brutal fucking murder. It's multiple stab wounds. The throat was slit. They say it was a close-up murder. It was personal and bloody. And whoever did this really did not want the guy to live. It was a murder, all right. Close-up, personal, bloody. He looked to be in his early 20s, but he had no ID, so they called him John Doe 135, LA's 135th unidentified victim of the year. And also, Ron was found in what they call the Manson Tunnel. It was yeah. like this creepy, spooky tunnel that, of course, there are like lots of occult activity down there. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, we see the graffiti now, yeah. and it's like just like regular gangs or like tags or artists or whatever. Yeah, and they say that this poor guy was found by hikers. And I said, why are you hiking? And why are you hiking in an abandoned fucking tunnel, like train tunnel? Because like that shit's creepy and cool. Ugh. But also, like, they're not hikers. They're just people who just stumbled upon this. Right. If you're hiking, guess- you're far away from the, right? Even if you're walking to your friend's house through the woods, it's still called hiking. For us, yeah. I I was going to say, look, I'm no expert. Like, they need to be reassured that I'm no expert on the hiking. Look, I'm not saying you deserve to find a body if you go on a hike, but, like, not far from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and even, this is one of our first, like, just phenomenal Keith lines where they're talking about, you know, the Manson Tunnel because Charles Manson lived near it once or looked at it two seconds in the 60s. Yeah. Such bullshit. But with the occult and Keith's like, whatever. It was catnip for me to <laughs> then we meet this guy, Michael J. Connolly, and Keith is a fan of his because he's like, Yes, that Michael Connolly. Keith really wants us to know who this guy is. The trailer for this episode is like, World famous crime novelist recaps. And I'm like, Who the fuck is Michael Connolly? I'm sure he's lovely. I, me too. Keith is a fan, which, I, look, if I was Keith, and like, I want him in that. I yeah. want this guy in that. <laughs> No, I'm sure he's lovely too, but like they make such a big deal out of the fact that he's a part of this episode. He's in it for five seconds. Yeah, the trailer makes it seem like he wrote a book that was sort of like the case or something like that. Anyway, back to the actual case. So this is like how it all happens, right? This is how it unfolds. That like the parents get a call like in the middle of the night. There was a strange voice and he said, we have your son. 
unless you give us $100,000 by 5 o'clock tomorrow, he will die. And, like, the dad doesn't believe it. So the dad, like, calls Ron's apartment. He was at UCLA. And so yeah. Ron wasn't home. His roommate answered. And he's like, okay, well, I guess just, like, let me know if you hear from my son. Again, I feel like it's silly to say, but the 90s. Yeah. Like, when we talk about the 60s and 70s, it's so obvious that there weren't cell phones and stuff. Right. But for the 90s, it's like. true. So the dad was like, okay, well, no one could call him on the phone. I guess we'll just wait. It seems so ridiculous to get a phone call. Like, or we'll kill you. Like, all right, idiot. Like, uh, but not to me. Like, I, I, it doesn't take much to set me off, I think, as we all know. But, like, if I got a call about, like, I would have taken the call more seriously. I, I think. know. You it's know what just, I mean? Yeah, it's just like, so I guess they, what do they do? They just panic. Because you know that you call the cops and they're like, they've only been gone for 10 minutes. Like, right, that doesn't right. count yet. You shouldn't be panicking. And they're like, thanks, dummies. So the next morning, no one has seen Ron. And the same scary person calls again. And this is when Ron's dad is like, all right, cops, you got to pay attention. Like, yeah. I'm calling you now and let's do this. So we meet Ron's older sister, Patty, and she, like, flies over to her parents' house when she gets the news. They put a wire, like, on the phone, but the scary bad guys never call back. And then, like, the cops get a picture of Ron, and they take it down to the corner just to see if there's any chance that it, like, his picture matches any of the bodies. Because they did have a John Doe 10 hours before this happened. Yeah, and the coroner was like, oh, shit, yeah, that's that guy. Right, so Ron is... John Doe. He was he was in the tunnel. And just for clarity, like whoever was making these phone calls knew that he was already dead. One hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just to just to tie up that loose end. Yeah. If you haven't watched this classic Dateline, right. we'll get there in a moment. <laughs> when this thing first happened, we were just a few years past Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, who was involved in pentagrams and things like that. And he had struck a couple times in the valley, and just how that gripped the the town in fear. There's a little bit of of here we go again. Like when this happened, Richard Ramirez had just terrorized LA. We hear right. about that bitch again. And then, right. you know, there, Ron was wearing two necklaces. He was wearing a pentagram and then like a cross with a Jesus fish. Two totally different ideologies. Totally different ideologies. But again, children, going back to the 90s, this was kind of a thing back then. People wore shit like this. People like, there was a lot of stuff going on with the Wicca yeah. and the tarot card. And, like it was and, a big and, thing in the 90s. Right. And everyone's like, ooh, the solstice. And could this mean something? And satanic panic is alive and well in this episode. But then. Yeah. Because normally we'd be like, well, that's garbage nonsense. But, well, hold on just one second. Because Ron was a member of a club. <laughs> he was, um, I thought you were going to say Colton. I was going to no. say, I'm walking. <laughs> Don't you know me? Um, I know. Ron Baker was a part of a group called the Mystic Circle. And... <laughs> A, I'm laughing because I I can't believe that my lesbian mother wasn't the president of this club. Seriously. I'm sure. How Pamper, am I the one teaching you about tarot cards know, in this scenario? You grew up on the Cape with yeah. lesbians? <laughs> yeah. The city kids teaching you about I, the high priestess and all this shit? Come on. So and then we just get like a clip of a reporter from, from back then. And it's like, the question is, did the occult lead to his death? And to myself alone in my apartment, I went, no. <laughs> and why Ron Baker of all people? He was a compassionate, kind, church-going Methodist. Not an enemy in the world. Okay, there's Cousin Ronnie. There, Zoom. My brother, he was a really positive person, a real gentle soul. He was very smart. He was majoring in astrophysics at UCLA. We learned from Keith, like, why was Ron killed? He was a compassionate, kind, church-going Methodist. Not an enemy in the world, the super positive. The way he said church-going Methodist. I know. Because it's like, that becomes important here, yeah. that he's, like, studying astrophysics. He goes to church as a Methodist. And he's just like, the point is, he's intellectually curious, and right. that's okay. Can I ask you a question, yes. also intellectually curious? Yes. What the fuck is astrophysics? It's what helps planes happen. Oh. Which... <laughs> 
Oh, okay. We, we love the astrophysics. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's just like science and shit. It's like it makes the world go round. That's I think that literally. Problematic Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's what he is, right? I can't keep track of who's problematic. God <laughs> yeah, damn it. But science, how is science? All right, I'll go get it. I'll go get it. I'll go get it. But so this this mystic circle thing, we meet this woman, Excuse Christine. Excuse me. What? Sorry. Keith says, Methodist or not, Ron joined a club called the Mystic Circle. Why is Keith obsessed with him being a Methodist? Because Keith knows that he's talking to a whole bunch of dummies. <laughs> Because he, we get face-to-face action with Keith later yeah. to put it all in perspective. <laughs> so he's like, he wants people to like give a shit about Ron. Like, oh, he's not a witch. Like, don't worry about it. I'm like, you should care anyway. I know, Again, you I don't know. have to be a mother to like care about kids. You don't have to yeah. have a sister to care about a woman or a daughter to care about it. Just like fucking totally. care. Keith introduces us to Ron's friend, Christine Reyna. And apparently she was like a member of this club with him, but then she became like a real Wiccan like witch. We would meet and hear lectures and talks from people that practiced a variety of different traditions or alternative religion. We've had people come in who studied Wicca. I think as a physicist, there was something appealing about Wicca being a nature religion. Because what do physicists study? They study energy and they study forces. Yeah. And so she's like, let me tell you something. Yeah. (laughs) Astrophysics is all about like science and calculations and stuff. And the Wiccan religion is all about nature and earth. It's like the most peaceful thing you can believe in. It's all about like, let's give a shit about the solstice and not kill anyone for it. Jillian, that means you have to like all the solstices. You can't just pick. I respect them all. (laughs) I'm allowed to have a favorite. (laughs) Just like fire is my favorite element. God. Uh That makes sense. So put a pin in the Wicca-ness. We'll come back to her. So we're learning more about Ron's roommates. And he shared an apartment with two guys, Nathan and Duncan. And the detectives go to talk to them because they're like, girl, where's your roommate? And we learned that they were all really good friends. Duncan and Ron were like, they've been friends for a really long time. Duncan was like the really outgoing one. And Ron was a little bit more quiet. But Nathan and Duncan, their story is that like, yeah, he had a Wicca meeting to go to at UCLA that night. We dropped him off and we never saw him again. Yeah. And so the cops look in Ron's room and they find like, all the shit that's in my room. All the wicked stuff. All the all the shit that <laughs> all I have. The stuff that's in my room. <laughs> I haven't highlighted. I was like, I have all the shit in my room. And there it was: an altar, candles, the pentagram, all the wicked stuff there. Large knives that supposedly were used in their ritual. We're certainly not ruling out the possibility that Baker's death was cult related. And now the cops are like, this is a cult. We're Satanists. <laughs> they're sacrificing animals in the tunnel in L.A. Like, no, they're not. And this is where we get Keith talking to us directly. And he basically is like, children gather around. Yeah. Satanic panic was a thing. And he doesn't, he calls it a myth. I wish he would say, like, that. it's never, like, I'm Keith Morrison. Right. I know. Right. I have the authority <laughs> on this. It's never the Satanists in the woods. No. Like, I promise not you. Not one time. It's never been that. He no. doesn't, he just, I just wish he would be more direct. Keith, that's my one note so far. Right. Okay. <laughs> So the media goes wild with this, like, satanic panic narrative. And, like, you know, like, this was what your friend Damien got caught up in. You know what I mean? Like, this is, like, this is a known thing. The media fucking loves this shit. They go bananas. And, like, the detectives are saying, like, we knew the media was going crazy, but we kind of put the satanic panic thing to bed. And I was like, thank God. I cannot do 90 minutes of this. Right. Because they finally spoke to Christine. Yes. And one of the cops is like. The Wicca lady. Yeah, we spoke to a. Wicca lady? <laughs> what do I call? She's a Wiccan or she's a woman or Christine. Right. <laughs> Frank, get it together. The Wiccan witch the of the wi- West? The Wicca, uh, what do we call her? Is she, what is that? What are we allowed? Is she going to put a spell on me? But that Keith says, As for suspects, there were none. 
except perhaps the alcohol. It showed up at the autopsy. Booze. A lot of it. To which I said, Keith, I will... Ouch. Ouch. Keith, I feel Keith, it. Ooh. It's just like, please leave her out of this. Leave okay, her Keith? out of it. Although, My God. she was like in rare form because she well, because Ron never drank and he had like a super high blood alcohol level. And we never get back to that. We never, we never get again. any... So his blood alcohol level was 0.21, but he didn't drink. To which I said, well, A, you should have drank more. But B, a point... <laughs> like, why did... How did he get so fucking hammered? I don't know. And that's never, and we hear a lot about what happened, and I that's know. never mentioned. That's odd. Do you think it was like the thing that I feared would happen to me when I went to high school and I was convinced they were going to inject me with oh, cocaine? No, I hope not, because that makes it this even like sadder and makes I me know. more anxious about it. Oh, maybe he really did drink, but he did, like told his Methodist church he didn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe. he's like a kid he's in a college, college kid. Yeah. yeah. While we're talking about him, can we just go into Ron's hair for five seconds? Sure. Ron has this enormous head of hair. Yeah. It's like he's just like he's a cool kid. He is. Remember? Well, in, I would have um, loved him. Like, yeah. We would have been best friends. Remember in This Is a Robbery where the guys, like, they were the hippies who were good at chess? Yes, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, That's sort yeah. of how Ron was. He was really smart, but he also, like, wanted to be out in nature and learn about different religions and different people uh-huh. and cultures. And he had this, like, cool head of hair to go with him. Like, sweet, quiet, yeah. cute, straight guy. My best friend. Like, yeah. I would have loved him. Yeah, he was a good dude. But this is important later, too. We learn that Ron fought his killer. That, like, there wasn't forensic evidence. Like, DNA wasn't really a thing in 1990. But they were able to see that he had blood under his fingernails. Like, his attacker's blood under his fingernails. And that person's blood type was AB positive. And only 4% of the population is AB positive. Yeah, so put a pin in that. Yeah. We'll be right back. If we ever can get a suspect, it'll be easier to narrow it down. Right. Well, speaking of suspects, um, the cops are talking to the roommates. And they really are curious about Duncan. told us that he and Nathan went to Chatsworth Park near the tunnel to look for Baker. Why would anybody go look for their friend at Chatsworth Park near the tunnel if he was kidnapped? Anyway, Duncan kept talking, offering information which might be true. Or not. Duncan, who was Ron's friend from back in the day, they've known each other forever. They're like yeah. the odd couple. Yeah. But they're like best friends. Like, it doesn't make any sense that this guy would have done this. Yeah. And then he fails a polygraph, which we know is bullshit, but it makes the cops focus on Duncan a little bit. And they say he didn't just fail it. He, like, failed it spectacularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith's like, ooh, wow. <laughs> Tell me more about that. But also, again, like, there is no motive where it's like, Duncan looks suspicious, but why? Like, what? Yeah. Their best why? Friend. They're best yeah. friends. We learn a little bit about Duncan here that he was really close, not just with Ron but his whole family he would go over there all the time super nice and fun and easygoing he was an exaggerator he was constantly telling stories people would be like "All right, whatever he always wanted to be the center of attention (laughs) like the time I told everybody that I made pancakes for Val Kilmer and he had to come into the kitchen at the hotel to thank me personally because they were that good except that happened and I will (laughs) take that to my grave that it happened But he's so close with Ron's family that after Ron's murder, Duncan actually asked Ron's parents, can I keep some stuff here? Like, can I store some paperwork? Which is also just like, dude, the the family's grieving. Could you not bother them with your shit? Give them a chore to do? Give them something to look after? God damn it. (laughs) You should not like Duncan, listener. I don't want to tell you what to do, but don't. You should not like him. And he's also telling Duncan's parents that, like, he thinks that the police are following him. Like, he failed the polygraph test. He's feeling very, like, under the microscope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he thinks people are following him. Yeah. And then suddenly, like a month after Ron's murder, there's this phone call. A cryptic phone call late at night. A panic-stricken message from, well, the caller didn't say, but the voice on the line sounded familiar. They got me in like a warehouse saying, no, I didn't know what's going on. And I gotta 
say Dateline did not do a good job of letting us know who the phone call went to. Yeah, we just have audio of this right. call. <laughs> They're not clear about where this call went, but my understanding is that it was like an answering machine message. Yeah, and we hear it. We and hear we it. hear it. And like, basically, this kid Duncan is saying he's being held against his will in some warehouse in North Hollywood. And like, then we hear like sounds of him getting beaten up and the phone goes dead. It sounds like a coffee can was knocked over right. or something. Yeah. It's just right. like, oh no. <laughs> Ouch. Whereas you guys will know if I ever like fake a I've been kidnapped call so I'll be like like, I would be reels over the top about it, I think. But that's also if you actually get kidnapped, too. <laughs> that's true. So you, how are you so going to know? So screwed either way. Here's how you know. Say, I was out hiking, and I'm lost. <laughs> I'm lost on the, in the outside. I'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, who has her? Who has her? <laughs> Let's talk about the outside. <laughs> I've been I lost drink- on I, the hiking. I've been drinking so much water today. <laughs> I would I never do that. I don't even know where I, I am. I would never do that under any circumstances. Well, now we know. <laughs> So his disappearance makes the news and the cops are like, yeah, we never believed it. No, because they finally, again, yeah, it's because it's so like, oh, ouch. Right. So oh, no. They track down the phone number somehow. They call it. It's from a payphone in Vegas <laughs> in an in airport or something. It, this is bullshit. It just gets more and more and more ridiculous. Investigators tracked down the phone number Duncan used to make that panicky phone call reporting his own kidnapping. It was a random stranger, not Duncan who answered a payphone. And not in a warehouse in North Hollywood, but in a crowded airport. I think the motive for him making that phone call was, if he's kidnapped, then we'll stop looking for him. The thing is, Dateline like does these insane stories and they tell them to us like they're normal. Because I'm like, wait a minute, it's a payphone in Vegas, but Duncan's in trouble. Like, why is anybody looking for him? And then we're just moving on. Right. And the assumption is no, like Duncan wasn't kidnapped. He's on the lam now. And I was like, but okay, I guess well, I guess I'm just going with you, Keith. But Duncan, if you don't want anyone to pay attention to you, don't fake your kidnapping. Just leave. Right. <laughs> just shut up and leave. I know. I mean, honest to God. Because now everyone's like, what happened? Whoa, Duncan left that phone. Just go away. Right. Just shut up and go away. But that's not how Duncan rolls. Also, remember how Duncan was like keeping paperwork at the parents of his yeah. friend who was who was murdered? And the family, by the way, now feels like maybe Duncan had something to do with this. So now they're suspicious. Right. So the dad's like, I'm going to look through these pieces of paper. Sure. But it took him like a couple of weeks to do that. I was like, guys, could we move this timeline yeah, along? They are mourning. We were just I know. on Duncan's I case. <laughs> I know. But I'm just saying I want to fucking find out what happened because I, I still know. don't think Duncan did it. Oh, okay. Well, here's how about this? Okay. <laughs> There's a checklist in yes. the in the the I keep saying paperwork. I can't why can't I think of the word the box of papers? Yeah, okay. I don't know, the stuff. <laughs> and the list says it's called things to do. Yeah. Let me I'm gonna read it to you. <laughs> okay. Set up new ID. Yeah. Sell car in parentheses ASAP. <laughs> Set up new work, find out McCarty's parents' number, check with the Marine Corps, smooth things at EA, get new car through question mark? Do you still think Duncan's totally innocent? No, but I gotta tell you, like, Duncan pulls it off. Like, Duncan vanishes, you guys. He just vanishes. I mean, I make enough podcasts about true crimes and missing people to tell you. That's not easy to it's do. It's not an easy thing. No. Yeah. And he, but, and he, like, had it all laid out. How do you just get a new ID and But that's get what I'm new... saying. Like, you make a list that says, get new identity, and then you do? Yeah. Sell car ASAP. I, I like that. In parentheses. I you would think why. that would be the top thing on the list if it was so urgent. Right. You know but, like, I mean? and then it's like, ooh, new also, ID Duncan, or leave the, the car, car, girl. What's the car worth? $800. Just Again, 
go. Duncan, just go. Just go. Duncan's bad at this, except he gets away with it, which is bananas. It's bananas. Autumn came, Christmas, the new year, and Ron's 22nd birthday. Another summer solstice came, too, the anniversary of Ron's death. The longest day following the longest year for the bakers. Stop rubbing it in. We get it. They happen once a year, okay? So there's no news on Duncan. They go back to Nathan. Nathan's the other roommate. Nathan is sticking to the story. Dropped him off at the bus stop. Never saw him again. Yeah. And the cops are like, we're convinced Duncan is involved, but we just like, we don't have eyes on him. And Keith's like, you just get your mitts on him. You'd be able to talk to him. Get your mitts on him. You guys, it is, I want everyone to pull over. I I want everyone to pull over. This, we are about to meet someone. Who, how this person does not have a podcast on the Obsessed Network, I don't understand. Lives at 100 (laughs) in their own way, but in such a way. Yes, yes, That And you'll get it from the way Uh he speaks. So it's late autumn. Thank you, Keith, for bringing it to a time I like. Exactly, yeah, thank you, Keith. (sighs) Uh, 1991, we're in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Three young men walked into the downtown Federal Building and encountered a seasoned and very particular passport agent who just happened to have the same first name as the elusive Mr. Martinez. The name is Duncan Haywood Maitland. We meet this guy who tells us his name. And it's a little confusing. So this is another Duncan, not (laughs) Duncan the roommate. But he goes, the name is Duncan Haywood Maitland. It's like Marion Coatsworth, hey? Yeah, like, why does he... Str- like, oh, is there another Duncan Maitland? I, you need to... Dunk- Haywood. This guy is so intense, you guys. And what happens is three men walk into the downtown federal building. It's a building I know well. And this guy's a passport agent. Exactly. And so, like, these three young men encounter this guy, Duncan Haywood Maitland. And, and, and one of them's like, I need a passport and I need it now because my flight to Paris leaves in, like, ugh, 45 minutes. <laughs> And Duncan, I mean, we're here because of Duncan. Yeah, if oh my these God. dummies didn't I know. walk into this building at this time yes. when Duncan was working, yes. we would not be here. And also, if this guy, Duncan Maitland, wasn't exactly the kind of person he is, this oh. segment would have been five minutes. He is phenomenal. He is phenomenal. I mean, until he's not. So but. what happens is, one of the kids says to this Duncan Maitland, I need my passport, here's my identification. And he hands the guy a school transcript with no photo. Now, granted, this is pre-9-11, and like those of us who were alive and adults before that, like, I do remember that things were much easier. Like, you could get away with shit. Like, if you, like, showed up to the airport without an ID, they didn't care so much. Well, you never met Duncan Haywood Maitland because (laughs) Maitland, he's like, are you kidding me? You need, like, a valid ID and passport photos. You can't just hand me a piece of paper. And this guy is like, no, my name is Jonathan Wayne Miller. Yeah. Here's my transcript from eighth grade. What's the problem? Yeah, and so the three men are like, all right, we'll go and we'll get, like, the documents you need. They come back with just the pictures and no ID and Duncan Maitland is like well girl where's your valid ID and the one who's going to Paris tonight is like they're right here like these two are going to vouch for me they're not good enough you need a blood relative we need either your mother or your brother to come into this agency today was it panic Maitland was seeing in young Miller's eyes no, this used to be a thing. This used to be a real thing. This blew my mind. Yeah. Maitland's like, oh, those bums aren't good enough. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, no shit. And then Maitland's like, yeah, we need a blood relative. Right. Your mother. And I'm like, wait, you need a what? I know. There was a time. But then it's also like, well, how are you going to prove that they're a blood relative if you don't have a fucking photo ID? I've never heard of this I in know. my life. I could just bring my mom with I know, me. I know. Pre-9-11 was a whole different fucking world, you guys. That is wild. Yeah, I 
really never, was. That like real. I mean, Maitland says a lot of things that blow me away in this, <laughs> but this was one of them where I was like, wait, what? But then the guy who's got to get to Paris on the 630 is like, but girl, I was very badly abused in my life. And, and he's d- like, that's great, but it doesn't help you with this. <laughs> no. I don't care. Still need a valid like, form But of did I mention I only have an eighth grade education and I had to run away from home? Maitland is not having it. Like, he just picks a fight with the wrong guy. I know. I know. His name is Duncan Haywood. <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, teller number eight instead of teller number nine had been open? Right. It'd be a whole different story. He's not here to fuck around. I feel like he has his own office. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah, think yeah, he yeah, should, because totally. no one else could do it right. He can't share the job. It's him <laughs> or nobody else. So this kid, John Wayne Miller, is like, well, here's my social security card. And Maitland is like, oh, calling major bullshit. He's like, I could tell that that social security card was brand new, which means it's a new identity. And Keith is like, so it doesn't mean it's fraudulent. It just means it's a new identity. He goes, it means both, Keith. Right. Because <laughs> Maitland like, kicks these clowns out of his office yeah. and goes to 100 because he immediately calls the FBI. <laughs> like the door hasn't even clicked shut. <laughs> Nothing sat I right know. with Duncan Maitland. Duncan Maitland is a post 9-11 man living in a pre-9-11 world. 100%. I feel like when 9-11 happened, they went to Doug Maitland and they See? were like, what do we do to make this never happen again, girl? And he just pulls out the file cabinet. Totally. He's like, well, this big book that he needs like two hands to open. I thought you'd never ask. Maitland called the school listed on the transcript Miller submitted. And I talked to a guidance counselor there, and I said, it gives English 1 and English 2. He said, that's freshman and sophomore English. And I said, well, what grades? He said, 9 and 10. And I'm saying to myself, this fellow quit school 8th grade. That doesn't make sense. But so I feel like this guy Maitland had the next day off because the next day Maitland is at home and just decides he's going to do some sleuthing. He's like, you know what? That kid left a real bad taste in my mouth. I'm going to get to the bottom of this bullshit. Right. He calls the school because nothing on the transcript makes sense. Remember, this kid, John Wayne Miller, the first like document that he had given to Maitland was a school transcript. It was a school in Massachusetts and Maitland calls the school. Maitland is going down a checklist. He's like looking at the classes this kid said he took and the school is confirming we do offer those classes. They are ninth and 10th grade level classes. And Maitland's like, well, that kid said he only had an eighth grade education. Why is that kid giving more information than he needs to give? Right. And then with the new social security card. And also Maitland, like his gut is just like yelling at him. Watched a lot of Columbo. So, like, at the end of the day, Maitland knows this kid's, like, identity is made up. He's put it on the radar of the FBI. And now, put a pin on that, we'll come back. Yeah, because now there's a warrant out for this guy. Exactly. For passport the FBI, fraud. Yeah, the FBI put... You guys, don't do that. Don't do And it. don't... While we're at it, while we have you pulled over, sure. don't fuck with the U.S. mail. Remember that? Oh, remember? You guys, do you, like, service? write the wrong address on a postcard, you're going to jail for 20 years. Yeah, if you, like, read someone else's postcard. Totally. <laughs> we'll never see you again. Just no. be careful. And it's hard. That, they're trying to trick you with that one. Because you're like, oh, what's this? Oh, God. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Two months later, after Maitland is like, I got him. This highway patrolman pulls over our enemy of the moment, John Wayne Miller. The officer took the driver's ID, ran the name. Jonathan Wayne Miller. Wanted by the FBI for faking a passport application. Miller was arrested and booked in a Utah jail. But then, back in Massachusetts, a cop goes to the last known address of this John Wayne Miller guy. Because they're trying to track him down. They don't know what's going on in Utah. It's like a whole mess. So they knock on the door, and this guy, Jim Miller, answers. Oh, guys, all right. If you you pull back into the highway, pull over again. We didn't tell you to get back and turn the car back on, did we? Okay. So (laughs) She runs a real tight ship, you guys. You wait till she tells you to get back on the road. It's Keith Morrison, Dateline. (laughs) 
I'm thrilled. Yeah. So they ask, like, hey, we're looking for John Wayne Miller. And this guy, Jim, is like, what do you want him for? He's been dead for 21 years. So... This, at this point, goes one of two ways. Ugh. It's either that, that old scary story about the lady in the back of the car that disappeared and then they find the husband and it's like, oh, she's been dead for 20 years. Sure. So either this guy's a ghost, which is a possibility. Always. Always. <laughs> or it's a case of stolen fucking identity. Right. In the most tragic way. Because yeah. this this poor guy, Jim Miller, tells us a story. His son, yeah. the real Jonathan Wayne Miller. That was a real kid that really lived and existed. Yeah. At two years old, a tragic accident happens, and he dies. Yeah. And so this guy, imagine being Jim Miller. I know. Opening the door 21 he's, years later. He's with us now, sobbing, telling Keith Morrison the fucking story. Right. So, like, it brings it up. You're, the last thing you're expecting is yeah. to hear that name 21 years later. And it's like, yeah. can you just let this little baby rest? Like, don't use his fucking name. Don't I know. use his I know. identity. I know. It's just, I know. like, it's so disgusting. Yeah. Spoiler, it's Duncan, everyone, right? right? <laughs> So, you know, eventually when we're back with Duncan Maitland, the passport guy, he tells us, like, what Duncan, the roommate who probably killed Ron, the whole reason we're here in the right. first place, what that Duncan probably did was he, like, back in the 90s and before 9-11, you could steal an identity kind of easily. And he's like, he was probably wandering a cemetery. You're looking for a person who died around the time that you were born so that ages would match, which means you have to steal the identity of a fucking baby. Right. And that's what that kid Duncan did did back then it was that easy to fake an identity unless you ran into someone as exacting as maitland who called the massachusetts vital records department and asked to contact there to do a search for miller's official death certificate in the federal building, like where they actually keep all this shit on file, there's a book of death certificates. And the page for the baby John Wayne Miller had been ripped out, which means Duncan figured all of this out. Yeah. He figured out the identity of a dead baby to steal, then went and stole the death certificate. And they say that like when there's no death certificate, that kind of like legally brings the person back to life. Yeah. Which means like that's how Duncan was able to get the social security card. He can actually assume this person's eye. It is a level of like fucking evil and also the fact that Duncan this idiot was able to pull it off is mind blowing I know to me. and this is a perfect example of what you're saying where Dateline just presents it to us like here's like, the thing right. because <laughs> Maitland the passport guy tells this to Keith and yeah. he's like I went down there got the record turned to the page and he goes and guess what yeah and it's a pause he's like waiting for Keith to react yeah. and, but Keith just leaves him hanging and it's like <laughs> he goes the page was missing and Keith goes really <laughs> And it's fucking what Keith's like, wait, there's a name for yeah. this? Like, I don't care if he's acting, he's a legend. Right, yeah, but yeah. But yeah. it's yeah. still like, wait, that that's a thing that people do? It's infant identity theft? And I've totally heard of this. IDI. Infant death identity. Why would you call it that? Because it's a way to assume a brand new identity without ever bumping into the person. You've seen this before. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a good way to hide. You couldn't get away with this today. I'm hoping all these fucking death certificates are fucking digitized. I and know, a dirtbag like Duncan can't just walk into a federal building and steal it. And then bada bing, bada boom, the kid's alive again. Right. So this, quote, Jonathan Miller guy yeah. is taken into custody. He's refusing to tell the judge who he is, which is a Ted Bundy move, if I'm not totally. mistaken. Totally. And like that's like all that the cops know is that they don't know who he is. Because the cops now know that this is a stolen identity about like the poor dead boy from Massachusetts. Right. And the judge is like, fine, then sit in prison until you tell us. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> just sit there. And then the minute the judge says that. Duncan's like, okay, 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 it's me. It's Duncan. I'm from Los Angeles. I'm not Jonathan Wayne. No. Miller. It's me, Duncan, everybody. 
So Duncan is now in prison and like he's in a lot of trouble. And so he gets a lawyer and the lawyer calls our original detective team, Rick and Frank. Yeah. And he says to them, I did that without notes, girl. You asked me, listeners, <laughs> he asked me Jonathan Wayne Miller's name 15 times. <laughs> I know. Because you talk a mile a minute. And they do this. What's his name? John Wayne Wayne Miller. But Rick and Frank I got. Rick and Frank I have no problem. Go ahead. Go. So. (laughs) I got it. I got it. We got to go with this while we have it. Rick and Frank, go. She's lucid. Let's do it. We're rolling. We're rolling. (laughs) So the lawyer calls Rick and Frank and is like, well, listen, I know my client's in jail. I know he's a total fucking dirtbag. But how about this? What if he were to tell you about what happened to his roommate, Ron? Remember the dead guy? That's why we're here in the first place. I do. If he gives you all of that information, are you willing to cut a deal? And he wants something called a limited immunity. And I'm like, how is that not an oxymoron? I know. Exactly. Limited immunity. Anyway, the deal is called King for a Day, to which Keith says, fancy. (laughs) Agreed, Keith. Because the whole idea of King for a Day is that this person can tell the cops everything and they can't use any of it against them. And it's a deal that the cops only make in a case where they have no evidence and they're trying to get closure for the family. He was in charge that day. Our hands were tied as far as um, what couldn't be used, but it could give us information to move forward to try to further the case. But there was a catch, a big one. If Duncan ever let anything slip to anyone else, or if detectives uncovered any additional evidence, they could charge him with murder. But on this day, right here, he had one free day pass to reveal all, no charge. So they're like, this guy's going to admit to the murder and we're going to know what happened and we can tell the family, but we can't ever use this against him except there's two caveats. Right. There's some fine print here. And the fine print is either Duncan runs his mouth. And tells somebody else. The cops are like, you can't say a word about what you've done to anybody. Right. Or the second thing is if the cops find out there's more to the story and he didn't tell them and they know that he knew, like he was holding things back, the deal's off. They can arrest him and charge him for murder. Exactly. So he sits down and we hear the fucking tape of this interview and basically the story that Duncan tells Rick and Frank is that Nathan, the other roommate, and I lured Ron to this Manson tunnel. The spooky tunnel. And we were like walking in there. We were going to meet girls. We were going to drink beer. And Nathan tripped and Ron, astrophysicist, fucking sweet ass Ron, makes a joke. Nathan can't like handle the fact that he's getting laughed at and just stabs him to death. We hear a couple versions of the story. None of them make a lot of sense right. to me. What we're getting out of this, really, the important thing is that Nathan did the murdering. And then Duncan says that he and Nathan fled the crime scene. And according to Duncan, Nathan was the one who told Duncan to make that ransom call to the parents. Yeah, and we get some bullshit story that like Duncan's like, but I didn't want to do it. But then I was afraid that Nathan would kill me too. So then I did it. Right. But then the two of them go home, dump the murder weapon, clean up and go to a party. So how scared were you, Duncan? (laughs) My other question is like, Duncan, girl, were you actually, what would you have done if they had like given you the hundred grand? Right. So he's, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, they would have went to Vegas, I guess. I I don't know. Because, and now Duncan's like, you know, actually the more we're talking about it, it was all Nathan. Now that that I'm really saying it and putting the pieces together, I did nothing and it's Nathan, 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 Nathan. Yeah. And mitigated a lot of his involvement in this, mm-hmm. minimized everything he he did, yeah. at least for the most part, with the, I didn't think it was really going to happen. Why would you go to the extent to lure him up there if you didn't really think it right. was going to happen? So two years go by, and like Duncan literally tells that story, like basically admits to having a hand in the murder, they let him go. They let him go. And he's been living in Park City, Utah. Looks like a 
beautiful city. It's, you would love it there. I feel like it's always freezing. And so many Mormons to talk to <laughs> and ask questions. That's true. Hard to find a liquor store, I bet. But I, I, they have Drizzly there, right? <laughs> You know, there's a lot to consider before making a major move like that. It's true, because yeah. if I want to just, like, start drinking at three on a Sunday, uh-huh. I don't want to be told I can't do that. No, yeah. Or go to an airport, and there's, like, it's a dry airport. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> nope. No, for, fuck that, you guys. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So Duncan is, like, living the good life in Park City. And they're like, well, we can't get Duncan. We're going to go and look at Nathan again. And, like, Duncan said he was the one who did it anyway. Guess what, girl? What? Nathan's in jail for armed robbery. Yeah, bank robbery. Yeah. And so the cops are like, all right, now that we have you, you're just sitting here. You're not doing much today, right? You're going to have a free, free schedule, Nathan. Can we chat with you? <laughs> they just want to know, like, how true Duncan's story is. So here's the thing. The, the detectives Rick and Frank show up at Nathan's prison. And he remembers them because... He had been interviewed by them in right. the beginning. So he's like, oh my God, my friends are here. Hi, like, girl. Like, what are you thinking? I know. So the cops are just like sort of feeling him out. They don't really get anything from Nathan, but they get his blood type. We got a search warrant for Nathan Blaylock's blood. And that blood came back AB positive. Blaylock's blood. 4% of the population have it. That was good. Quite good. But still not enough for a murder charge. If you remember, that was the blood type found under Ron's fingernails, and only 4% of the population is AB positive. Right. And they're like, that's great, but it's not enough. So the cops need to place Nathan in the tunnel with the knife. Sorry, that sounded like Clue. Right. As I was saying it. So they're like, all right, let's call up Duncan. We hate him, but like maybe he can help. So what they do is- Duncan, they say, is like more than willing. Like, what do you want me to wear? Why are you? What do you want me to do? Duncan loves every second of this, which is so disgusting. I know, I know, I know. And they have Duncan call Nathan in prison, and they record the phone call. Yeah, and it's- it's like, you know, obviously Nathan does not know the call is being recorded. But it's like, what was the last time you were on the phone? I, why does you my wife think, Nathan so stupid? Nathan, I know. You just thought the cops just came, <laughs> casually I know. got your blood type out of you. <laughs> and now two years after this murder, this guy you've never heard from again is totally. like, hey, buddy. What's up, friend? <laughs> you know what? When you try to pull this shit on me when I'm in jail, I'm not falling for it, GP. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not falling for I'll it. I'll be in the other prison right next to you. You know they're keeping us apart. That's Jesus true. Christ. It was like old times as the two caught up. And then Duncan started spinning a story to get Nathan talking. I just got in touch with uh, my mom, and she says they've been over at her house giving her, like, serious s***. Yeah? Um, about my blood type and stuff. Then, without missing a beat, Duncan cleverly got Nathan inside the tunnel and tied him to the struggle just before Ron Baker was stabbed to death. Nathan totally fucking falls for it. And, like, he gets Nathan to admit to being in the tunnel, but Nathan gets spooked. He doesn't want to, like, get too detailed on what actually happened because he's like, I'm on the phone with you, and who knows if these calls are recorded? Girl, they're always recorded, Nathan. Yeah, he goes, I don't think this line is secure. No, prison lines, like, by definition, are not secure. No! But by the end of the conversation, Nathan has invited his old friend Duncan to come visit him in prison. I mean... Nathan is so stupid. Or, like, there's a part of me that's like, is is he doing that thing where he the guilt is taking over, and he's like, I just want to be caught for this? Because every decision leads to... I mean, it doesn't seem like it because every time he gets the opportunity to acknowledge or admit, he does not. Yes. I think he's just a fucking idiot. All right. Well, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, also a murderer. I mean, yeah, you know. totally. So we hear, we have the audio of Duncan talking to Nathan because in prison. Because Duncan is all too happy to like throw on a wire and go visit his pal in prison. They say that like Duncan really, he thinks it's Hollywood stuff. He's super into he it. He loves it. And so eventually... 
really like this goes on and on. But Duncan is like talking about the blood, right? Because yeah. they know that the blood matches. And so Duncan's like, dude, you know, your blood might be all over the walls in that in that tunnel. I mean, yeah. should we be nervous? And Nathan's like, no, no, no way. That's Ron's blood. My blood didn't get anywhere. This just happened. And he's saying stuff, but not enough for a conviction or to charge him. Not yeah, But he is acknowledging that he was there and like responsible. Like right. he says like it just happens. Like happened. You know, like that's an it's a lot, but the cops want they say they want more before indicting him. So like Nathan goes back to a cell, Duncan goes back to Utah where he's studying film and living his best life. 22-year-old Duncan Martinez, once a big-time murder suspect, was now a big man on campus. He went by the name Doofus O'Reilly. That's what he liked to tell his friends to call him, <laughs> Doofus O'Reilly. He was the center of attraction at a lot of events. Doofus O'Reilly, <laughs> which makes me crazy. He's a he's an actual frat boy. I know. And if you like see a picture of this guy, he just he, like looks the part. He's at Utah State University. He he's introduces in the... himself I as know. Doofus O'Reilly. Can you imagine some drunk frat boy introducing himself to me as Doofus O'Reilly? I know. If you ever want me to leave a party, if I'm not wanted anywhere, have some yeah. one of your asshole friends introduce themselves as Doofus O'Reilly, and I'd be like, "That's my that's my stop." I gotta go. Here. I, gotta go. I, I know it's open bar, but I'm still gonna leave. Well, I'm, well, I'm, gonna s- I'm taking like six doubles, <laughs> but now I'm leaving. Goodbye. So Doofus, he's in a fraternity, Jillian's face. <laughs> He meets a girl. He meets a young woman named Melissa Bean. You guys, Melissa is here. Melissa is uh, how Melissa do I put this? is she's, a complicated character. She's easily impressed she, yeah. because she the, is fawning over Doofus. I gotta right tell now. you, if I'm just gonna say this, like without commenting on his appearance, if a guy like that was paying like serious attention to me too, I would probably be the Melissa. Melissa at one point describes herself as a Volvo, like <laughs> like, tur- like doubles over her laughter. But she charms him. Him, by describing herself as a Volvo, I feel like Melissa and I might have a lot in common. Well, uh, but Melissa, <laughs> Melissa is easily impressed by the. She, she's like, he had a tattoo. I, he wore I a leather know. jacket, and she's like, it was kind of like if Guy Fieri showed up to the party, and I'm like, how dare you? Guy Fieri is a lovely guy. He's raised <laughs> hundreds of thousands of, of dollars for restaurant workers. He's ridiculous. But I he know. Means well. She also does that thing I hate, which is like he was a bad boy, and not knock it off, you guys. And he just wasn't. A leather jacket does not a bad boy. Make. No, and also can we? Normalize hot nerds. Like, I mean, what, can we please, please fucking normalize hot nerds? Please. God damn it. But Melissa, like, is super in love, but you guys, Melissa plays a major role in this. A major story. role. So that we're gonna, like, we're gonna veer away from Melissa. We'll get back to her in a minute. Yeah. Because now the cops want to talk to Duncan again and they want him to call Nathan again. Yeah. And so we hear the call again. Yeah. All I know is that I'm flipped and I don't know what to do and I don't know what I'm gonna tell him if I go down. I mean, what should I tell him? Yeah, and. Duncan kept trying to get Nathan to say the words, to take the blame directly for stabbing Ron, for cutting his throat. And so the stakes are higher now, according to Duncan. Like, the cops are coming after me. Yeah. You know, like, what, what do I tell them? What do I tell them? And Nathan's like, you tell them that you didn't do it, and then you say you don't know who did. It's very simple. And I got to say, like, Duncan's original story was that I didn't do it, Nathan did it, and it right. seems like that's true. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it seems like Nathan really is the one who, like, did the actual murder. I'm not saying that they didn't both lure him there. And if they both lured him there to murder him, then they're both equally as culpable. Right, right, but right. But it does seem like Nathan was, like, the knife guy, you right. know? And then 
then the cops finally get what they need because Duncan is like, how can you act like this never happened, Nathan? Like really yeah. trying to play the guilt card. And Nathan goes, well, I have to do that to move on. It happened. It was a mistake. And Keith's like, everyone shut up. That's all they need. Cut print. <laughs> but move on to where, Nathan? Like you're in jail, girl. Like this is going to be your life. Like, you know the, what I mean? Yeah, like he just doesn't, it like ma- helps him sleep at night to think of it that way. Oh my God. And apparently that's all they need. They send Duncan back to film school who before right. he gets out of the car is like, it's a real shame we met under these circumstances. I think it would have been soups cool to hang out, bros. I kind of feel like the way that we are told that story is the cops are being nice. They're like, he said it'd be really fun to hang out with us. I feel like what he really says was like, too bad we met under these circumstances. It would have been real fun for you guys to hang out to with hang me. To hang out with me. 100%. They didn't, even sl- they didn't even stop the car. They just slowed it no. and pushed him out of the door. Oh my God. So we're back to Melissa Bean and you guys, Keith, oh God, it's so good. Keith Morrison says, If Duncan Martinez was the charismatic Pied Piper of his University of Utah fraternity, Melissa Bean was, well, let her describe it. I was president of my sorority. I was kind of nerdy and boring. I mean, I drove a Volvo. I was basically a Volvo. I was the Volvo in college, right? Basically a Volvo basically myself. A, but when she's like, I was exceptionally capable. I feel like Melissa and I are a lot alike because I would probably also, without meaning to, describe myself as both exceptionally capable and a Volvo, and a Volvo. in the same sentence. Right. But you'd be like, leather schmether. I know. Who cares? I know. I know. Keith is so charmed by this Keith woman. Keith has heard it all. And I the know. minute she said Volvo, he was doubled over. Go watch it. He loved it. It's really worth every it second. It totally I, took him yeah. off guard. It was great, <laughs> Melissa. But the thing about Melissa is that, like, she was cool enough. And I think, like, being super smart is really cool. Absolutely. Like, I don't really subscribe to that. But yeah. anyway, so Duncan wanted to impress her. He, yeah. like, kept yeah. wanting to impress Melissa. And it to do this. the wrong road. It really takes the wrong route. To impress route. your super smart, extremely capable yeah, Volvo, Volvo girlfriend. <laughs> he tells her this story about helping the police because he was involved in a murder. Yeah. And remember, if you guys remember. <laughs> Melissa pulls herself over because she's a Volvo. <laughs> Melissa, pull yourself over, girl. Do I have a story for you? But if you remember, there are two caveats to his King for a Day deal. Sure. He's not allowed to, like, talk about the murder ever to anybody. Because if you think about it, like, the reason for that caveat is, like, the cops know you're a murderer and you're just, like, allowed to roam free among us. Right. This is a sticking point for me because I don't, this doesn't make much sense coming up because, yeah. yeah. But anyway. So so Melissa's like, so I heard the story about him being involved in a murder and she's like, I tried not to tell anybody. Oh, my God. But then I told my roommates, my brother, my cousins, the university alums, and the LIPD. Melissa tells (laughs) everyone. She tells everyone. So kind of me sort of being big mouthed about what Duncan said to me to a couple of guys went to my brother, went up the chain to the alums of the fraternity, went to university police and then LAPD and he's being asked to leave his fraternity. Remember, Duncan was like an exaggerator. Yes. So she says, I just thought he was trying to make himself sound bigger than he actually yeah. was. Like yeah. he was involved in helping up the police with a murder. He probably didn't say and I was there. He just, you know. Yeah. Again, like Duncan, like what are you, don't stop telling people. And then he's mad at Melissa because that got him kicked out of the frat. I know. Oh my God, you guys. These are his priorities. I know. Remember, Nathan's looking at life in jail and Duncan gets kicked out of the frat and he's pissed. Because he's at film school in Utah. (laughs) Right. So the detectives go to see Nathan again because they they gotta like nail this guy. They spend two minutes on niceties and they're like, so your best friend Duncan says you did it and he said it on tape. Do you want to hear it? Play. Yeah. That old where it took like a lot to press it down. That old tape You gotta put your thumb on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
totally, totally. Sorry, kids. Then Nathan's just like, and I'm caught. I mean, there's nothing to say yeah. when you have the tapes in front of you. And then he just starts talking. And Seems he's like, like a canary. It goes from, I didn't do it to, oh shit, I got caught, to how many times did you stab him, Nathan? And he goes twice. Yeah. Twice that I remember. Yeah, at least twice. And I'm like, okay. So now then we veer again. Here's what's weird to me. Yeah. Duncan is just like still in Utah. He's not in a frat, but yeah. he's still walking among us. But part of the deal was that he wasn't supposed to talk. And he told Melissa and she told everyone. Right. And I think like, and as we're going to learn, the cops are just biding their time. Because what happens next, you guys, oh my God. you guys, when you commit a murder and you get away with it, you're a bad person. Yes. But if you get away with it and then you tell the cops and you still get away with it, don't commit more crimes. You know what I mean? If you want to like stay on the street, don't commit more crimes. And if you're going to commit a crime, make sure it's worth it. Don't break into a sporting right. goods store, <laughs> Duncan. An alarm went off. Cops arrived, and Detective Jim Pryor was called to the police station to interview a burglary suspect caught red-handed. Seemed like a likable enough kid. He committed a petty crime, got caught, uh, confessed his part in the crime. The cop who catches Duncan having broken into the sporting store, all he can talk about is how nice he was. It's just, I mean, we're, I we'll get into the systemic <laughs> bullshit of it all a yeah. little bit later. But they're like, he's just, a, he's like super cooperative. Totally. Uh, smart, your typical <laughs> smart aleck. Oh, you mean Doofus Magoo over there? I love that guy. Like, oh, it's infuriating. So once again, they need to confirm ID. Why doesn't this person carry it? I have my I ID with me constantly. I know, I know. And so Duncan's like, well, sure. Like, if you want my ID, why don't you just drive Drive me to my house and I'll get it for you there. And they're like, okay. The fucking privilege of it all. I then, know. when they get there, he gets his ID and they put him in handcuffs and he's like, oh, before we go, would you mind feeding him? You guys, this story is insane. Insane. Would you police officers who just caught me burglaring a store, mm -hmm. would you mind feeding my pet rat before we go? And they're like, oh, you know what? He was such a nice kid. Yeah, he doesn't want his animal to suffer. No. They actually say that. Yeah. Which is like, okay, feed the rat. Like, right. I'm not a, a monster percent. either. Yeah, yeah. But it's weird that they're like, just, you know, you guys want some coffee or like, right. can I get totally. you something to Drink? Just imagine how this would have gone if he weren't like a, a blonde white kid, is right. what I think what we're getting at. So the feeding of the rat is so important because right. when the cop goes and does it, right. he looks down, and we did this in Preppy Murder. Yes. The day planner will be the death of you. Yes. He's yes. feeding the rat, and he looks down and sees Duncan's day planner out for all to see. And yeah. he, no, he, the detective's like, I'll just peruse this. Totally. Looks at, looks like he doesn't it. have a warrant for that, but okay, whatever. But the guy's nice enough. Totally. <laughs> and found a business card. It was Detective Rick Jackson, LAPD Robbery Homicide Unit. Robbery Homicide in L.A., that's a big deal. Well, that's, the, I guess, the tip of the spear, if you will. Yeah. And uh, it made me interested. So interested. He called Detective Jackson. And for some reason, it makes the Utah cop go, I want to give the L.A. cops a call and see what's going on here. The ones who know that he did a murder but lets him walk like among us anyway. Which, I again, harkens back to Duncan Maitland from Boston. Right, right. Like, everybody in this episode are like, this Duncan kid got wrapped up with all the people working overtime. But the thing is, as much as they say he's charming, there's something about him they just inherently uh -huh, don't like uh -huh, at the same uh -huh. time. Their gut is like screaming. All the alarm bells are going off and they're like, he's nice enough. But at the same time, they see a business card and they're totally. like, that doesn't look right. right. We got to call L.A. <laughs> now. And they do. And they they do, and they get Detective Rick on the phone, and Rick is like, oh my God, that's my murderer, basically. Right. And the cops are like, whoa, wait, this is perfect. Get him to talk. Yeah. Because if he talks about our king for a day deal, then it's off the table. Yeah, and it seems like a little bit of a non sequitur, but he was like, Detective Rick and this other cop conspire. Because the piece that we've left out of this story is that one of the things Duncan told the cop in Utah was like, I'm so sorry, I'm a really nice guy, as you know, and we'll say to the documentary eventually, the only reason I'm robbing this store is because I'm being 
distorted because I know about a murder. And so when this Utah cop is on the phone with Rick, Rick is like, he told you about that? Right. See if you can get him to say more. Because if he says more, then the deal is off. We can throw his ass in jail. But my whole thing is like, didn't the deal get off the table at the frat party when he told Melissa? Like, well, I don't know what the, like, if he, it yeah. doesn't matter. It's right. like, it shouldn't matter how much he tells. He broke the rules of the deal. I think that th- this just, if they can get it on tape, then it's easier evidence or whatever. I guess. And they Melissa do. told everyone in town. I know. So the cop in Utah calls Duncan. Duncan's like, hey, bro, my new best friend. How are you, girl? And he's like, tell me that story again about the murder and from the top and louder and right into the speaker. And Duncan's like, yeah, okay, cool. Do you got, you got it? My best friend murdered my best friend. And the right. cop's like, say that again? And he's like, they were both my best friends. As Mindy Kaling says, it's a tear, you guys. It's not right. a person. Right. 100%. I told Nathan, you got to finish him off or something because you can't leave him like that. You better cut his throat and finish him off or something. When he told uh, Nathan Blaylock to cut Ron Baker's throat. That still makes your hair stand up. It does a little bit, yes, for sure. And I'm thinking about it getting shivers. Even now? Yeah, after 27 years. In retelling the story again, this one last important piece of information is that Duncan says, yes, Nathan did the stabbing and the killing. But like in the end, Ron, the murdered victim here, was screaming for me to help him. And I told Nathan, you got to finish him off. Like, we can't leave him like this. So it was Duncan's idea to cut Ron's throat. Yeah. And the thing is, like, this is so horrifying. But as Duncan's telling the story, he's like throwing back beers. Like, there's no remorse. Yeah. He doesn't care. So not only did he run his mouth, rule number one, there's also more information that he didn't tell originally. That's rule number two. He broke them both. Yeah, and so, like, how this ends is that, like, the cops pick up both Nathan and Duncan. They get separate trials in March of 1996. Nathan goes real fast. He's found guilty, life without parole. Yep. But Duncan is offered a fucking deal because he had been so helpful to the police. And he was. He was helpful to the police. They Mm -hmm. offer him a plea deal where he can, if he pleads guilty to second-degree murder, he can walk away after 12 years. Duncan says, no, girl. I want a better deal. Don't you know who I am? I know. I'm Doofus McGee. McGee. Whatever his name is. The cops love me. I know. I'm a white, drunk frat idiot. Totally. Look at me. I'm going to do great. I'm going to be just fine. So he turns down the deal. The Detective Rick is like, it took the jury less time for Duncan than it did even for Nathan. They come back. He gets life without parole. So Nathan and Duncan get the same sentences, right? Yeah. Cut to June 2020. Yeah. Keith, right around that summer solstice. <laughs> So I'm sitting, scrolling through Facebook, and somebody Mm -hmm. posted an article about the governor pardoning and commuting a bunch of people, which sure enough, I see Duncan Martinez, age 50, and... You know, my heart just sank. Now we're back to the beginning, which is like, remember when I said something was happening that was never supposed to happen? Right. Because of like resentencing, maybe it has to do with COVID. I don't know. In 2020, they're looking to like release prisoners. And so Gavin Newsom, the governor, with that head of hair of his. Fuck it. He does pull some bullshit right now. I know, I know. He commutes Duncan's sentence. Now that doesn't mean that he's out of jail. It means he's now has the opportunity to go in front of a parole board. And so he does. He goes in front of a parole board. And we don't get to see it. He's 50 years old. He's been in jail for 25 years. He would have been out 13 years ago had he taken that deal. Yeah. And we are with Ron's sister uh, and Detective Rick watching the parole hearing. They give their statement. And at the end, like, the parole board determines that he is eligible for, yeah, for parole. Yeah, they grant him parole. And when I was, I Googled it. Like, the other people who were commuted. Yeah. We're talking about, like, robberies, no injuries. Yeah. Like, Duncan should not have been on this list. And by the way, yeah. Nathan isn't commuted. He didn't apply for parole, be- so he was 
wasn't even considered because he didn't know about it. Right. So then Nathan wrote a letter that says, you know, it was an accident. It became a nightmare. So Duncan got out June of 2021. Yeah. And Nathan, like, didn't know that he could petition for this. Right. And so Nathan is still in prison and frat boy piece of shit Duncan is out. And this, Ugh. like, everything about this story sucks. We're on the longest day of the year. It's hot all day. There's a fucking murder of a nice dude who's yeah. intellectually curious. His friends are monsters and the white guy walks among us. I know. I don't understand I know. it. I know. The family and the, the the baby identity theft, like, this yeah. is horrifying. I know. Keith. Uh, I know. <laughs> come on. And the thing, and what Keith ends on is that when Duncan got out, just in time for that summer solstice. <laughs> Oh, girl, we did Dateline. What is this one called? The Night of the Summer Solstice. Night of the Summer Solstice. Oh, my God. What a banana. How have I never heard this story? I know. I know. Even, like, when Gavin Newsom came around and made those horrible decisions, we still didn't hear about it. I know. I know. It's bananas. You guys, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 250 full ad-free bonus episodes to download a binge right now. We're talking the John Wayne Gacy one from Peacock. I was just going to say that. Happy Murder you mentioned in this one. Yeah. All We Got in the Dark. Lorena... Oh, the vow? We haven't mentioned the vow in a long time. Uh, It's everything you ever, all the series you ever wanted us to cover from Netflix, Oxygen, Hulu, HBO Max, everything. Yeah, all of it. I have every single streaming service um, at home because someone came over the other day. They were like, why do you have all this? I was like, I have to. It's work. I I need it. It's ridiculous. If if it's on a streaming service, we're covering it. We are covering it. That's right. Um, We love you guys. We love you. Thank you so much. Are you, I hope you're loving the Dateline. I know, us too. You know, we're loving it and... You know, Keith, DMs are open, you know? DMs are open, Keith Morrison. I don't think they are, actually. But you can find me. Mine are, Keith Keith Morrison, girl. I I will forward you right along to Jillian Pensavale. Thank you. Find me, Keith. (laughs) Love you. All right, bye. 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 